Hey guys, this is the second episode of the Sisyphus 55 podcast. We're joined here today with Nate is lame. Do you want Hello. to introduce yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, my name is Nate is lame and I do sad videos on YouTube with stick figures. Um, so that might sound a little bit familiar to a couple of you guys. Um, okay. we, uh, we sad stick figure boys need to stick together, you know? <laughs> no, that's true. Yeah, no, you've done a, I saw you did a video on death a little while ago and, uh, Oh, my favorite. Yeah, no, I, I like that a lot. You also do the, <laughs> your survival guides. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, those are fun. Uh, people seem to like those for some dumb reason. So as long as it pays rent, you know? <laughs> And you do seem to have a, a pretty big preference for Halloween season. Oh my God. If Halloween season was a person, I would marry it. I would kiss it on the lips. I would take <laughs> it home and we'd start a beautiful family. So, so how do you, how do you feel about, um, I mean, it's going to be a different Halloween this year coping with the, you know, I don't know how trick or treating is going to go, but yeah. Um, I, I guess, you know, I, I'm all in favor of COVID and I'm, you know, I'm not in favor of COVID. Let me rephrase. <laughs> I'm more in favor of like social distancing, staying safe, protecting grandma, and grandpa, you know, but, um, <clears throat> I don't know. I'm, I'm past the point where it's not a huge difference to me because, you know, once you turn 17 or so, you spend Halloween sad inside your house. <laughs> um, so it's going to be the same for me. I just feel okay. bad for all the kids who are missing on, on a, uh, an important Halloween yeah, yeah, no, that's fair. It's a, I'm I'm in uh, I'm in Montreal, and uh, the uh, last year we had Halloween postponed because of winter storms, and so this is going to be the second year where it's uh, delayed or you know canceled, kind of. So I really yeah. feel bad. I <laughs> I had a I had so many years of just perfect trick or treating uh, seasons. I I, I uh, definitely didn't understand how uh, grateful I should have been at the time. Yeah, I'm calling bull honky. You can't just move Halloween. Halloween happens rain, snow, shine, you know? <laughs> they, Halloween waits for nobody. No, the mayor, the mayor did it. It was uh I I don't think a lot of people complied to be honest and like yeah, I'm not I'm not trick or treating yeah. age. Um so I don't know, yeah. but usually you just Tell the drunk. mayor that like a November Halloween sucks. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. Yeah, November first. That's, that's awful. That's rem Remembrance Day uh, season for all the Canadian listeners. I don't know, you guys. You, it's Thanksgiving, right? For Americans, uh, November twenty mm. fifth. I think. Don't quote okay. me on that. Okay. All right. Hooray okay. for imperialism and murder and genocide <laughs> and Turkey. Oh, okay. Well. Not on that note, we should oh. uh, <laughs> probably talk about <laughs> some of the main things we're going to address this episode. Um, I, I was under the impression this was going to be like light and breezy. We're going to talk <laughs> about like, I don't know, TV shows. Yeah, no, actually we're going to, uh, what's your what's your stance on what happens to you after you die? So let's just start. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that is a left turn. Um, <laughs> boy. Well, let me ask you a question. Uh, what was it like before you were born? Do you remember that, like sensory wise? Uh, yeah, no, I I like this. It's the I don't remember it off the top of, top of my head, but the the Mark Twain quote um, of that um, bowl. I, I think I remember it. He said, "I was dead for like millions of years, and I don't think that being dead anymore. I don't think it bothered me. I, I think that's what he said. I'm yeah, yeah, this. yeah. No, that's I, yeah, that's the gist of it. I I think that's like a very 
I mean, that's probably my interpretation of what yeah. happens to us after we die is that like in a sense, nothing happens if happening means uh, like a sensory experience. Like it's nothing we're really uh, perceiving or making meaning of. So it is yeah. the equivalent of, of maybe being or like before you're born or maybe when you're in a coma and you're just like, there's no sort of uh, consciousness. Yeah. I I know that Mike, like Mark Twain, not Mike Twain, <laughs> Mark Twain said that probably to like try and take a little bit of the fear out of it. You know, like, oh, dying's no big deal. Death is no terrifying thing. Well, I'm going to call, uh, this is the second time I'm going to say it. I'm going to call bull honky on good old Mark <laughs> Twain because uh, I guess when I was not existing, I guess I didn't know any better. I I mean, I'm speaking in like, uh, I'm I'm humanizing the you know, experience of not being conscious. Of course, I can't have preference right. just for the sake of making this tangible. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't know any better, but now I'm experiencing everything. I'm like, this is freaking awesome. Um, I, I, I don't want to go back to that, you know? Yeah. So, well, and I, I guess it's not really comforting in the sense of, well, we're conscious of it. I guess it's still kind of terrifying because you aren't experiencing all of the great things on earth um, even experiencing the sad things, because at least that shows that there's some sort of meaning that you found that makes you sad to begin with. But I think it does comfort us in the actual what it would feel like, like like that we, that he's kind of giving us this sort of experience that we can relate to in a weird mm-hmm. way of before we were born. There is something com- comforting in, in at least knowing that it won't be either painful or really like blissful like we go to heaven that it'll it'll just most likely be something that we aren't really there for like it's i mean it's it's really intangible for us to even like describe what it's like before you're born it's it's outside of our our capacity to think and i mean for me it makes me reflect more and appreciate more on the things that are here now that we can still experience and and create and so forth so yeah. yeah, no, but but I understand it's still it's still uncomfortable because it's like this void that we're eventually just walking into. Yeah, it's it's I I don't like it. I'm not a fan of that whole concept. <laughs> anti death. Um, anti death. Am I right? <laughs> um, who's with me? And uh, I guess this is a little out of left field. Um, you know, I don't want us to get too into this because this is a dumb rabbit hole if you go too far okay um but basically you know that theory that we're all living inside of a computer right Mm -hmm. um and as soon as you plug like basic probability theories into it you know as soon as we create a a simulation of life consciousness that essentially means that we are a simulation as well Mm -hmm. if you go far enough down the rabbit hole who are we to say that we are the one definitive simulation when there are simulations within simulations within simulations you know that whole deal Mm mm-hmm um, so basically if we were to be a computer program somewheres, what would that make the afterlife? Like what happens to files after they're executed in our computers, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, no, I, I guess a spooky. Like, like when you're thinking of like just a video game character, like yeah. when you turn off the video game, I mean, they're not, I, like, I, yeah. Is it even appropriate to like use like a dead Goomba. Cause like, you know, that's a static thing, mm-hmm. you know, but we could but... be static things for all we know. And in, in the scope of the universe, we could be like from a very like outsider perspective, 
we could be just these very predetermined objects moving through space. Even from our perception, it seems very complicated and we have a lot of free will and there's a lot of decision making to be had, but maybe everything's just completely predetermined, much like a, a video game character. Yeah, that's a bummer. <laughs> but, but I don't know. But like, I think it goes down to that kind of like, you know, if a tree falls in the forest and, you know, like doesn't make a sound if like nobody's there to hear it. It's kind of just like kind of it makes you realize that you are the universe experiencing itself. Like, mm-hmm. like maybe whether or not there's like an objective reality um, that's kind of just outside of our scope. Um, and, you know, death is one of those things that kind of it's it's almost like a little glitch and it makes us remember that like, oh, there are things that we just can't experience. It's just outside of our our imagination. Yeah. And I guess there's something really lonely about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I I had an experience recently. Um, I, I don't smoke marijuana very often at all. I've never smoked marijuana and been like, man, I'm so glad I did that, you know? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not that kind of guy. <clears throat> okay, yeah. I went over to a friend's house and he said, I'm going to change your mind. I'm going to change your mind. They all always say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, he said that. And, you know... I, I tried this stuff and, you know, I'm waiting for it to kick in and my friend just stands up and I'm with a whole bunch of other, you know, people. Mm-hmm. And he starts telling us the story of this crazy thing that happened the other week. And, you know, what happened was I started feeling the edges of like my consciousness. I could start feeling where my sensory began and it ended. Uh, almost like this little void started creeping in on me of my own limitations as a person, you know? <clears throat> it was spooky. And this then I raised my weed? hand. Oh, yeah? This <laughs> yeah, this yeah, was... Yeah, okay. <clears throat> I mean, your guess is good as mine <laughs> at this point. Um, And I raised my hand, and I said, I think it's kicking in. <laughs> and I've never felt this before. I, 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 Oh, my God. I've never had to do this before. I, tr- I gave the room a trigger warning, and I said, can I tell you guys what I'm feeling? I don't want to freak anyone else out. <laughs> um, I think it's really sad that I will never be able to experience the story that you're telling me right now, that that is an isolated event that I will never get to experience. I'm greedy. I, oh. I want to feel everything. I want to see everything. You know, yeah, that, I, I'm hungry. That's a good. I mean, that and that is kind of an observation that you would kind of, you would almost need drugs to reach because it is kind of out of. That's not something we'd usually think of, but it's like you are you have a very limited amount of experience, like in this life. Like, it, I mean, it blew me away. There was a, a, one of our perception classes in psychology, and the actual, uh, like in focus like area of our vision you just hold your arm out and it's the size of your thumbnail and a lot of the rest of the stuff that we're like we think we see uh, when we're looking around is actually like filled in like top down um and the color like in our peripheral vision is mostly filled in it's not actually there and it's like it's insane that we have a very like uh, kind of doctored uh like Uh congested uh perception so kind of like ai upscaling on a tv or something yeah yeah no that'd be a good way to yeah okay i gotcha (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> no, but but then it it gets even crazier when other people have experiences and it's like like you can feel it. You can have like the same sort of uh imagination, but you don't know if the other person retelling these experiences actually is seeing this or they saw the same things as you're imagining or if they even see the same colors as you or smell the same things like it's it's crazy that anything can happen when we're so kind of out of touch perceptually Mm -hmm. it's you know i i I don't do drugs i I don't (laughs) touch drugs after that that was like i am i am not wired for this um i i guess perception have you ever played night in the woods uh no highly recommend it's absolutely brilliant they really get into this um and i've never seen another media form touch on dissociation in terms of how we connect our ego to our perception you know huh um i guess mild spoiler warning for anyone who hasn't played a <laughs> night in the woods uh, but basically, it's a, the story game, and there's this thing that happened to the main character. This main character did something in their childhood, and the whole town that they live in kind of resents them for it. Um, and it's revealed that the main character, her name was May, she was having this existential crisis when she was a kid where she couldn't um, rationalize that everything around her was something, that she was having a hard time accepting that as a child. Uh. She couldn't put into words or anything like that all she saw were just shapes that's how she rationalized everything was just shapes and this drove her wild and she eventually almost beat this kid to death with a baseball bat on her baseball team because she just associated so hard um and she just snapped and almost killed a child (laughs) it's a brilliant wonderful game um they really dug into that you know it it sounds like there's a there's a uh, a little like novel by Sartre um that's called nausea and it's mm-hmm. he it teen and he slowly over time like has this kind of existential crisis where he realizes like he has all these Sartre observations where like why is it like oh why is a table a table it's just like the body of a tree and he 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 literally is like losing his mind because of this stuff but, yeah yeah sorry to cut you off Oh, you're good. I just, I think that that kind of reasoning, like, why is a table a table? I guess it just kind of boils down to, I don't care. (laughs) There's a lot of philosophy out there where I'm like, it just feels like you're wasting your time. Yeah. I, I guess I can just have a little bit more of a utilitarian idea of what interests me in philosophy. If it relates directly to me and what I'm experiencing... Mm-hmm. Or if at least it sounds cool or something like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, if it, if it doesn't do those things, I don't care. Uh, you know, but if you start getting down to like the nitty gritty of like, you know, what is a table? At what point does an object quit becoming a table? Where's that line? You know, right. I don't care. That doesn't make a difference in anything. Why would you drive yourself mad over that? Well, because I drive yourself. I, yeah. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> I, like I think that that because he uses it to kind of show what an existential crisis would be. Because I think oh. I think it's more so like this sudden like an analogy. Yeah, like a it's a it's a degradation of all these like symbols and values that he uses to navigate the world, and that can be actually very existentially uh, discomforting because the way we navigate the world is through a lot of beliefs and kind of. Uh, convictions 
and once you start kind of seeing them in different light, it it can be a little bit uh, nauseating. And I mean, you know, maybe people can be driven to like kill a kid with a baseball bat. Maybe they just get really depressed and like read coffee and and or drink coffee and read like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> read like depressing existentialist <laughs> novels. But it's because that, that's where I'm interested in it. Because you're right, I don't really care about like the the metaphysics and stuff like that. I, I get kind of yeah. it, it's it gets really pedantic. But I and I guess I have a really simple view or answer for that kind of stuff. What uh, just really quick, what kind of music do you listen to? Just really fast. Ooh, I don't know, like hip hop, indie, jazz. Nice man of culture. <laughs> um, well, you might not know this, but I listen to a lot of emo garbage. Okay, and um, that's a genre. The thing is, if you say emo, you'll get different answers from different people. No one can agree what the heck emo is. If you walk up to someone and say, "Oh yeah, My Chemical Romance is my favorite emo band," they're gonna lose their mind. And I get a lot of kids, you know, getting all bossy with me in my comment sections on my videos going, did you just call Toyman Pilots emo? Did you just call Fallout Boy emo? <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And I guess my answer to them is if I show this to anybody on the streets, anybody at all, and I say, how would you describe this band? And if they say emo, I think that's what emo is. If I show a person this table and they say it's a table, because these things are all just social constructs. There mm-hmm. is no book that the universe wrote saying this is the line where a table becomes a table. Mm-hmm. These are all the fake dumb concepts that humans made up. Um, well, yeah, no, like I had a professor. And I know that it's yeah. like not to be taken literally. Yeah. Um, it's supposed to be a stand in for, you know, more profound, you know, I guess, you know, like I said, I just take a more cold, boring, utilitarian quit with your emo garbage. You know. Well, no, like, like that's a really good point. Like, like, uh, this one psychology professor that I had, she said, like, uh, that science is just agreement in intersubjectivity. So it's literally just, you know, a bunch of subjective opinions kind of reaching some sort of consensus. And yeah, that seems to be the closest thing we have to some sort of concrete reality. Um, when we're talking about stuff like the afterlife, then. I mean, there's no mm-hmm. sort of subjective or there's very little legit, you could call legitimate subjective experiences of death. Um, yeah. And that's where it starts to become more existentially confusing, I think, because it's like, I mean, as we said, like, like, what do you do when there isn't even a single experience to to kind of explain it? You end up with a lot of uncertainty. Yeah. Well, actually, I read this book called Heaven is for Real. Okay. <laughs> That's a joke. Um, <clears throat> I I don't know. I just think, like, what else would there be, you know? I, I guess I'm just having a hard time wrapping my mind around how someone rational can come to any other conclusion than our brain is full of, you know, essentially ones and zeros if you boil it down deep enough and you just turn it off Uh does my computer go to some computer club you know with (laughs) hot tubs and loud music when i turn it off that sounds nice i mean that sounds great that sounds wonderful whatever helps my computer sleep at night (laughs) but so when i turn it off it it turns off do, do you find like it hard to kind of uh 
understand people that are more like religious and spiritual and uh like legitimately are convinced that you know once they pass away there's going to be some sort of salvation where they'll they'll see their loved ones or they'll be reincarnated or something like that well i guess it's i was born and raised in a uh, christianity my whole family's super christian and that's what I believed for 15 years, and that felt fine. And then I, I made a whole video about this. I went through an existential crisis when I was a kid, <clears throat> and I I lost my religion. Man, that'd be a good song. And uh, <laughs> I, um, I, I freaked out, and I just was in, like, this suspended panic attack for, like, six months. Do you remember what kind of triggered that? Um... I remember I was really rebellious as a kid and I was like, well, Christianity is this thing that we hold so near and dear in our family. So why don't I look up, you know, atheist YouTube channels? <laughs> and uh, it was just 100% to drive my parents insane. But then it became real and I was like, oh, these folks actually have a point. Uh... Oh, no. <laughs> and I started looking up uh, articles written by folks who survive motorcycle accidents and they're declared dead. And I remember this one guy said, yeah, I skid across the road and I just fell into this darkness and I snapped out of it. And I've been terrified of death ever since because I didn't see no God, no Jesus, no family. And I think it was just the sensory focused language that he used that really helped me rationalize. I don't think there's anything. Huh. And, like, really sit on that and really internalize it, swallow it, and know that without your consent, permission, this is all going to end. You're going to be swallowed into nothingness, and there is nothing you can say, do, no person you can write a letter to, nothing that is going to change that. And I think it's that powerlessness and that mystery and the fact that I think that being alive is a B-plus most of the time. <clears throat> Uh, that was terrifying. And I just started feeling time creep away. I could start feeling my sensory, um, kind of like that story I just told you. I could uh -huh. feel the edges of that sensory. And then I realized what's beyond that. And that's where I'm going to go. That's terrifying. Huh. Um, you know, I, I watched this one video that said, close your eyes for three seconds. That's how long an eternity feels when you're dead. I was like, oh, I don't like that. <laughs> no. You know? Yeah, there's there's a... Do you think that this terror could then, like, this in the same way that it kind of drove you away from religion, it could also bring people towards religion? Like, they might Absolutely. see... Absolutely. Yeah, they might see uh, some sort of, you know, it's such a bad truth or certainty to embrace that, like, people are actually willing to kind of take that leap of faith and just go, there's no way something could actually be that bad or I'm not willing to accept certain truths about how bad it could be. Yeah. Listen, man, if I could go back in time and just tell myself, hey, buddy, you can rebel, you can not clean your room, don't do the dishes, whatever, don't go down this rabbit hole because you'll be a lot happier not knowing this. So do you um, think like if you uh, remained religious, you'd be happier? Yes. Absolutely, without hesitation. There's a lot of uh, uh, studies that demonstrate that usually the more religious people are, and if they're in religious occupations, they tend to just have higher subjective day-to-day -day well-being. 
So that's, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) probably. (laughs) You know, and I wish that we had something like that. I wish that we had like this dumb, well, here's the deal. I, 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 I made, I made a video on this very topic where I was talking about religion, existentialism, death, and essentially this is terror management theory. Mm. Um, can't remember the fellow who wrote about this. He wrote an entire book, won a big prize. Uh, Sheldon Solomon? I don't think so. Let me are you, are you talking about Ernest Becker? Who it's like Ernest Becker? Of. That's who I'm thinking mm. of. Uh, he wrote an entire book on terror management theory, where essentially everything that humans do, whether they realize it or not, is just an elaborate scheme to essentially distract ourselves from our existential uh, status, mm-hmm. which is um, we're we're ticking time bombs of you know nothingness, and uh, basically. Jeez, I just wish that we had religions that weren't, like, nasty, homophobic, awful, terrible. Um, well, Becker, like, the interesting thing is because, like, when I first mm-hmm. read it, um, you know, it, you kind of go, okay, like, uh, religious people, obviously, and those that are, like, very fundamentalist, it's kind of very quickly explaining why they're so extreme in their beliefs. And even if they seem kind of fanciful and far-reaching, that you can at least understand why people are clinging to them because there's this sort of terror of death but he goes on to argue that it's not just religion, but it's also political ideologies. It goes down to even people's self-esteem. He thinks self-esteem, um, how you're viewed by others, people take that as sort of some way of cheating uh, death in a symbolic sense. Because, you know, if you're mm-hmm. known as the most handsome person or as the strongest person or you had a lot of friends, you'll still live on. And then that's when I started really feeling the terror was because I was thinking, you know, there is, it's not just uh, basic religious beliefs. It seems to be his argument is everything we do, kind of like you said, is driving us uh, away from acknowledging the fact that we will die someday. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I just think about speed limits in cars I think about loading times and why those are so frustrating. I think about why we go to school, why we work to be productive, um, why I care about money, why I care about any of these things. And it's because I have a finite amount of time and I want to maximize that. You know, mm-hmm. this is basic stuff. Yeah. And it's, you know, once you chalk everything up, no matter where you go, all roads lead to I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. You know, the reasoning and everything, if you do the Socratics, you know, questioning why, 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 eventually you hit a dead end death. Yeah. It's spooky and it's sad. And I wish there was an alternative, but there's not. Do you, do you think that like you would want to live, uh, like be like a mortal? Like, do you think that would be a, a decent alternative? Well, here's the deal. When you are Christian, you're told that God's omnipotent. You are told that God is all-knowing and, you know, God can do anything. My mortal understanding of immortality is this but forever. That sounds awful. (laughs) But in a Christian context, you're with a God who can make forever work, you know? Mm. Like... Listen, if anyone can make forever, because forever in any other context sounds terrible. You know, my human understanding of immortality is awful. Eventually, if I live 700 years, I'm like, yeah, I think I'm done. And I'd probably, you know, Kermit the seppuku or something like that. (laughs) But, you know, in a Christian context, 
God makes you happy forever. God will make immortality awesome, you Mm. know? So if we're working on a human, yeah, yeah. If we're working on a human basis of immortality, God, no, immortality sounds awful. But something religious, you know, if that was real, I'm like, heck yeah. Yes, please. (laughs) You know? Yeah, okay. I just, it, it just boils down to, at the end of the day, we're all going to the same place. We're all, you know, no one's going to change anything. Even Jeff Bezos can't buy like an immortality pill or anything like that. We all go to the same place. And so whether or not you're deluding yourself to think that, you know, there's a magic man in the sky who's your best friend and doesn't like it when you masturbate or anything like that. It doesn't change anything. And as long as you're not hurting anybody, you know, as long as you're able to strip away the terror that haunts people like me, um, I say absolutely go for it. You know, I, you know, I hear a lot of these atheist thinker, you know, guys on the Internet saying, you know, they almost heroize. Is that the term heroize? Uh, They make it valiant. They make it uh, yeah. valiant to be correct. They make it valiant to be 100% rational and correct. But the thing is, is that, you know, the truth sucks, mm-hmm. you know? If there was a comet that was going to hit the Earth in 10 days and it was going to kill everybody and everything and there's no avoiding it whatsoever, would you want to know that it's coming? Do you want to oh, spend yeah. those 10 days just waiting? That's a good, yeah, no, I mean, this is like a very hard, um, you, I think, I think he wouldn't want to know, but at the same time, I do think there's a component of human nature that kind of really, really craves the truth, no matter what, and whether that's good or bad, I don't really know, but it seems to be something that like we really desire, um, Mm -hmm. And I don't, maybe it's the fact that the truth kind of appears to be something eternal, even though we don't know what it is. And maybe it's more of terror management theory, where it's just another thing we can cling on to, that if we at least know about something eternal, maybe that can in a way help us symbolically cheat death. But yeah, yeah that's tricky, because I think ideally you would want to be able to accept the truth no matter how bad, and nonetheless live a fulfilling life. Like, yeah, I, I think that historically the narrative is that that's kind of an honorable way. Do you think mm-hmm. that it's damaging if people kind of embrace that ignorance is bliss mentality uh, to a certain t- degree? It's, it's, um, it's kind of a double-edged sword um, because I think back to that existential crisis I had when I was a kid And I wouldn't wish that on anybody. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. But at the same time, if you don't have that drive, if you don't have that fear, you know, what is stopping you from just wasting your life knowing that, you know, well, I I have heaven to look forward to. You know, I'm not going to bother with that. I'm going to take care of that in heaven. I'll live my dreams in heaven. I'll be a rock star in heaven. So I don't need to pick up a guitar or anything. Well, that, yeah, no, this is a, like Nietzsche and Camus both kind of make the argument that one of the most corrupting things about religion is that 
it can take away from the fact that your earthly existence is already pretty good. If mm-hmm. not, you can make it heaven in a sense. Like you can actually really appreciate a lot of the things going on in life, like nature and, you know, loved ones and uh, the potentialities that you can explore in life that yeah. it's actually, and, and Camus and Nietzsche both basically directly attack hope, um, which I think can kind of summarize all of the things we're talking about. And that Becker is kind of discussing in terror management theory that are kind of way to transcend uh, immortality symbolic or transcend mortality symbolically is through hoping for something, hoping for some sort of salvation that all is not lost to some degree, whether it's uh, um, religion or self-esteem or uh, sacrificing yourself to a great work to be remembered. Um, It's, it seems to be beneficial to a degree to kind of almost embrace the hopelessness and the fact that you're going to die and, that's that yeah and like i get that on a like a theoretical basis i get that on paper Mm -hmm. but in practice i think there's always that animalistic instinct buried really deep down that you know that there is nothing you know that this is all you have it's just bearing that in your subconscious where i would rather it be Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm just speaking in a practical sense. I don't 100% disagree. I I don't 100% agree with that. I'm leaning more on like the 70 range because I think with some people, um, when I was religious, I was still doing a lot of cool stuff that I'm proud of. I was still pushing myself to grow as a human being. I was still trying to do amazing things, and um, you know, I never let the promise of heaven stop me from taking full advantage of my mortal life it's just some people aren't like me some people just get too comfy and um you know i'm a i'm i'm a very intuitive person and i was chatting oh yes uh, oh it just uh it cut off uh right before you were talking about um uh that you were still very productive when you were like religious uh, your recording cut off? Yeah, uh, I think it was a Skype. So actually, oh no, it should be fine then. Okay. Okay, perfect. Okay, all right, sorry. Just <laughs> start, <laughs> start where you just left off before I interrupt you. You're good. All right. Um, I'm, I'm a really intuitive person, and I really get bored. And I have this drive to just make things and, you know, push myself. And there are some people who are totally fine going to a call center coming home and watching TV and then doing it all over again. And it's my instinct to say, what, why, what do you want to push yourself? Do you want to do anything else? And some of these people just say, no, I'm fine with this. I'm happy with this. Mm -hmm. And I think that's okay. I think that's just fine. Um, I, I just think as long, there are no rules. I think that, you know, valiance, is a made-up concept. Value is a made-up concept. Everything is fake. If you're having a good time, if you got dopamine running, don't let Nietzsche tell you that you're a waste. Don't let these dumb, dead philosophers tell you that you're not living to your fullest or something like that. If you're not stressing out and you're laughing at everybody loves Raymond reruns and, you know, that's how you get your jimmies kicked, I say freaking go for it, dude. It's every, you know, 
everything's fake, nothing's real. Have fun. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> that was the kind of the utilitarian uh Yeah, um, I'm, summary. I'm very <laughs> I'm very coldly utilitarian. Yeah, sometimes. no, I I can tell. Did you ever hear Does, of the it's it's like the utilitarian monster where it's like because of the whole idea i mean it's it's one of those like thought experiments that obviously they're just kind of being uh not super nice because it's like ridiculous um mm-hmm. but it's uh this utilitarian monster that basically it is entirely fueled its happiness is entirely fueled by consuming people so like you keep having to like like sacrifice people in order to reach like the highest levels of happiness within the society. Um, so I don't, <laughs> so, so you just end up with the, yeah, this, I mean, technically you have an incredibly happy society, but it's all coming from one single organism and it's based upon its consumption of the rest of the society. I don't know if that's directly, um, the, the exact interpretation of it, but it's supposed to be kind of like, there is certain lines to be drawn within utilitarianism. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not saying, you know, kill old people because they just eat resources or whatever. <laughs> no. But you're not not uh, saying it. Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> no, I'm, I, I love my grandparents. My grandparents are great. Um, does death scare you? You know, because you're, you're much more well-read. You're much more well, well-versed on this stuff. Are there, like, philosophies and thoughts and theories that help you feel better? Or are we just in the same boat? going yeah this sucks everything sucks uh like i mean i'm i'm kind of a and when i when i kind of talk about these philosophies i mean they work for me but i don't think they're like universal um oh yeah but i i do like because camus very much denounced the idea of hope but he also said at the end of the day that it seems to be just kind of like how we crave truth and maybe they're somewhat the same thing but we really crave hope and it's not entirely uh, pragmatic for a human being to just actually give up all hope and just live their life completely in the moment. You, you, I mean, maybe there's like some sort of like a monks that are very like mindful and they really are just existing day to day. And I, I have no idea what that would feel like. Maybe that's awesome. But for most of us, we do have certain hopes, whether it's like the hope that, uh, you can find a good Netflix show or the hope that, uh, you can, you know, get enough sleep or something like just like little hopes and then big hopes. Like you can find love, you can eventually find meaning. Um, you'll have enough money or something like that. Um, and even the hope that you can transcend death. He, he thinks that they're like at the end of the day, it's a little bit hard for people to get past this. And then there was Gabriel Marcel and he talks, he kind of elaborates on this and he thinks humans have sort of like a strange hope. And he, he was a bit more poetic and it's like, humans seem to have just in a general sense, this hope for things. Um, And it's kind of imperative to live with a sort of this sort of hope that nothing is yet lost, but to not directly say, I hope for X, I hope for Y. It's just this general sort of hope to kind of live with that. And I think that's a very sort of raw way of living. And I think it also kind of sums up Camus I mean, my channel is uh, called Sisyphus, yeah. which is, yeah. <laughs> so, and that, that whole myth is that, you know, Sisyphus just continually rolls this rock up a hill for eternity. Um, there's no 
practical hope in sight that he's going to be freed from this. He can't even hope that he'll die because he's literally there for infinity. Um, but he does nonetheless, uh, or at least Camus says that we imagine Sisyphus happy. And it's because he finds this sort of strange hope that, and and this is kind of why it makes him a rebel is that he hopes despite the hopelessness and it's not towards anything in particular. It's just towards his sensory experience and, exactly what's happening in front of him which is him rolling the rock up the hill um and so he frames human nature as kind of in its ideal rebellious at its most fundamental level and i I, that brings me comfort because there isn't a lot of situations that can be uh, given to you that wouldn't kind of be able to be persevered under camus sort of uh view of like absurdism so that and and I like that he doesn't just kind of go the normal existentialist route and go you have to find your own meaning, and he also doesn't go the total hedonistic route and go you just have to be happy no matter what. He leaves it pretty open. You could explore any of those, but he really makes it uh, apparent that you need to be aware of the fact that there is no hope at the end of the day, and to nonetheless um, have this sort of strange hope and and be happy. So he would put forth that there's like a happy medium between almost deluding yourself but accepting reality, mm-hmm. it feels like. It's 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 like an irrational philosophy. It's like – and that's why it's kind of – it's almost like a big fuck you to the universe because mm-hmm. it's like, uh, you know, you've given me all these things. You seem inco- – you, you've put me here and – everything appears completely indifferent to me, including you. Um, So I'm going to be just as indifferent back. I'm just going to, you know, if I want to be happy and I want to be hopeful, um, then I'll do that. And by doing that, I'm kind of rebelling against this indifference. Um, And he, he uses a few characters and and one you'd probably like is if you're familiar with Don Juan, um, that sort of like seductive, uh, like, fictional in in a lot of like Spanish literature is this like womanizer. And he sees Don Juan as absurdist because Don Juan uh, is entirely aware of the fact that his entire life is him seducing women, but he embraces that. He accepts that he knows exactly why he's doing it. It's to rebel against this sort of indifference. Huh? Okay. Well, yeah, I gotcha. Yeah. Do you do you pity Sisyphus or do you admire Sisyphus? Uh, I think I would. I mean, in in Camus' uh, sort of framing, I would admire him. Um, the actual story. I mean, it it is it is sad. It's it's like one of the saddest sort of uh, tellings of of eternal damnation, basically. But yeah, it's an existential yeah. nightmare. Yeah. And I mean, and of course, Camus frames it in the sort of person working their nine to five, going home to their uh, their partner, um, doing the same thing over and over again every single day. Um, that's how he kind of pins it on, you know, why it's relevant to the modern man. Um, so it, it there there is, you know, and there's points in your life when you're working like a dead end job or something like that. And I mean, it's. It's a nice book to read <laughs> when yeah. you're uh, dealing with that stuff. I I guess I have a little bit of a disdain for folks who pity 
Sisyphus, I guess. Because mm-hmm. um, I, you know, like I said, when I was 15, I was rebellious and that kind of deal. I was just looking for the nastiest, angriest atheist to listen to. <laughs> and these folks um, were the ones who were stuffing just this objective, cold, hard truth down your throat. Um, you know, saying, oh, yeah, nothing matters. Everything's fake. Um, and I think that there should be no religion. People should not be deluding themselves. They need to swallow this pill mm-hmm. down and they need to, you know, hope is stupid. Faith is stupid. All this stuff. I am, you know, there's almost a superiority complex to it. And there are some people who would pity Sisyphus and I resent them because I don't understand the general um, what's what's so noble about, you know, being correct in this. Yeah, well, and it's almost deal. like you can argue they're finding their own personal meaning in refuting the meaning of others, even if it's not at a conscious level. Yeah, I think that meaning is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I think their meaning sucks. And they need to find a better one. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, in this kind of, I see this at least in politics with increasingly it's it's this sort of like nihilism where it's almost like anti-ideology and it's there is no hope but it's literally just this kind of um constant blaming and uh discourse of how bad the opponent is it's a lot more critical it doesn't really leave a lot of normative sort of solutions in its wake it's more just about tearing down things yeah and that in itself, I feel, is a little bit nihilistic in and of itself. Oh, yeah, you know? well, definitely. That's, it's just, I don't know. Everything sucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, boy. It, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Do you think that it is, do you think that religion, like, let's just say that there is this hypothetical religion, Okay. And it was not homophobic, not racist, not anything like that. They didn't steal money. They didn't fight people who were different than them. You know, it was just this religion. I I guess Buddhism or something like that. (laughs) What am I saying? Just like Buddhism. Do you think that a religion like that, where it's, it's false, we know it's false, but it gives people a sense of not being afraid. Do you feel like that is pitiful or do you empathize with it? I I definitely empathize with it. And it, I forget what it's, there was some movie a little while ago. It was kind of an artsy movie, but it's literally, it's all about the end of the world and they're all the characters are totally aware of it being the end of the world. Was it, sorry, was it Melancholia by Lars von Trier? Ah, yes, yes. Nice, I that knew it. That was good, damn, you knew that, like, that, that was perfect, wow. Oh, I, I hate Lars von Trier, so I know all about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't particularly, like, um, it's, it's not, like, one of my favorite movies, but it was near the end when she kind of makes that, like, little, like, fort. I, I don't know if you've, if you've seen it, um... Does she but, make a fort to stop the asteroid? No, she literally just kind of makes a symbolic little, like, fort that they all go into, and it's right before this asteroid comes and completely destroys the planet. And I was like, that's a really good depiction of kind of just us. Like, it's, you know, even even at death's door, we would most likely 
strive for some sort of way to not feel the terror or the fear, even if it's obviously not, um, like actually going to help us in reality. Um, so I, I find that more like of an, you know, that's, that's probably something that I would, I would argue is, is innate in us is, is this kind of like hope and, uh, you know, whether it's good or bad, it's, it's, it seems to be very hard to, to rid ourselves of this kind of, uh, we need to have a sort of comfortable perception and we need to kind of create a world of symbols to protect from, uh, the impermanence. Yeah. I gotcha. So I, I guess, yeah, going back to your question, like if there was a religion <laughs> like that, I mean, uh, yeah, no, I would, I would, I would totally, totally empathize with them. And I, I'd say I'd empathize with most religions at the most fundamental level, like knowing why they exist, but also your hypothetical religion would probably inevitably lead to certain people in positions of power in that religion. And then that would lead to some level of corruption. And then you would probably end up with a lot of bad rules <laughs> and then yeah then you, they inevitably just cut to killing brown people and i wish yeah. they would stop doing that yeah if there was some sort of cutoff point that would be good but nobody's making the rules so i know we need a rule maker guy saying okay your religion's gone on long enough time to reboot it just a, a god of god reboot that would be perfect <laughs> that'd be wonderful <laughs> you know so an admin it's not even god yes <laughs> You know, I don't know. That makes you think of Tear Zoo, which is wonderful. Yeah, what's what's um, up? It's it's not philosophical in any way, shape, or form. There's absolutely no deeper discussion to have from it. But my goodness, I love it. <laughs> it's it's this YouTube channel called Tear Zoo, and they discuss animals as if they are playable characters in a fighting game. And so they rank them from like S tier. All right, oh, so the alligator awesome. is like B tier. They're a tank build. Um, the devs eliminated this in the Cretaceous patch and it's, they codify everything is absolutely hysterical and there are hours and hours and hours of it and I can watch it forever. Doesn't get boring. Little shout out to Tier Zoo. I love Tier Zoo. Oh, that's, I'm going to look that up. That actually sounds so dope. <laughs> I always, I always like think about that in my head whenever I see animals. I'm like, I wonder, even like, like, I mean, you go back to like megafauna and stuff, like some of those things are beastly. Oh yeah, he ranks dinosaurs and stuff. Oh, uh, T Rex only C build. I, I mean, the T Rex is overhyped. Yeah, it's a little overhyped. I always thought the Allosaurus was super cool, but that's just because that was the only dinosaur I could afford in Zoo Tycoon <laughs> as a kid. Well, isn't so there, I just there, trick myself into thinking, yeah, Allosaurus is the best. <laughs> I mean, Allosaurus is cool. There's, there's, isn't it called like the Gigantosaurus or something? It's like a gigantic T Rex. Oh, and the Spinosaurus too. Like those... I think the, I think the Gigantosaurus was like kind of like a bront brontosaurus type yeah maybe you're you right know, i'm trying to remember what the giant... if i was a kid i would have called it a long neck oh that's so dumb <laughs> <laughs> well i mean steven spielberg you want to fight <laughs> land before time oh um, it's uh it's what is it i don't know i'm, j I'm just so curious about this this is a because i just remember there was just this gigantic it's only showing me a cartoon, so I might have just completely made this up. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're good. Yeah, it's got Gigantosaurus, the gamer. Oh, Gigantosaurus, giant meat-eating dinosaur. Oh, that's terrifying. Jesus. Oh, and the Arcrocanthosaurus. Oh. Yeah, oh, Allosaurus, it's up there. Uh, Yeah, dinosaurs are terrifying. They are cool. Aren't you glad we're not? 
Well, do you ever Damn see birds that? just like moving around? And then, you know, I mean, like there is some like genetic link to birds and dinosaurs, like some more than others. But just like if that's actually how they moved around, like all kind of like jerky and like their eyes are constantly oh. like going back. And that's terrifying. I know if like the, if I see a dinosaur and it starts moving like the ring or something like that, like a Japanese ghost girl, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just like chickens, chickens and ghost girls in Japanese movies. Oh, God. In Japanese um, movies or in Japanese movies? Like, you know, Japanese horror stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no. <laughs> yeah, I gotcha. Uh, little question, because mm-hmm. I have some very strong opinions on this. Did you see, uh, I'm, I'm sure you saw it, uh, Midnight Gospel? Oh, yeah. 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 I love it. Easy stuff. You loved it? I well, look. I like Pendleton Ward. I didn't like the first three episodes, but yeah, no, I I did like it. Like the second half, I gotcha. Like the overarching story and that kind of deal, as opposed to like the guest appearances and that kind of deal. Yeah, like at, at first I was like, there was like the five minutes of oh, that's a cool idea, like a podcast, but it's like well animated, but it kind of lost its novelty. And then when they started actually, like combining making it a real show yeah it was like coherent i was like okay that's pretty good then the the mum episode was very oh my god yeah brilliant uh everyone you know who hasn't seen it i highly recommend highly recommend you know if you're not even interested in watching the show just watch the final episode in season one Mm. absolutely gorgeous yeah um i remember that show really annoyed me I oh, found what? that show extremely obnoxious. Uh, and it's because the guests on there, I felt, were bat frick crazy. Oh, some of them were insane. I mean, there were a lot of like new age. Um, yeah. Yeah. A lot of like, like a lot of new age spirituality and stuff like that. And that kind of stuff really annoys me. Um. I've been getting into counseling. I've been seeing a counselor for the past past few months. I've been really focusing on trying to improve myself. Mm-hmm. And I feel like self-improvement is pretty straightforward. You know, just think, be more <laughs> in touch with why you do these things mm-hmm. and, you know, quit doing them or do more of them. Yeah. You know, and it's very basic, simple, straightforward. A lot of self-improvement is, you know, it can be explained with, you know, do you like hanging out with people? Are you more introverted? Do you think with your senses or do you think in concepts? That kind of deal. Mm-hmm. And you just boil that stuff down and then, you know, see what works. But a lot of these new age spirituality things, you know, because I think we can both agree, I think, that a lot of it, you know, is – bogus in the most literal sense you know of vibrations and chakras and that kind of thing yeah they're all stand-ins for the most basic forms of self-improvement and they really just gamify it you know yeah like i mean i a part of me wonders if it's just because the world is becoming less religious if Mm -hmm. these are just kind of contemporary replacements for like you know to what extent is spirituality kind of a component of the sort of like hope we've been talking about and that it's just inevitably you're going to end up with 
people starting to talk about these things that they other people really want to believe in even if they sound crazy just because it gives yeah. them some sort of like comfort i I'm, I'm starting to realize that i feel like a hypocrite right now because i just got done talking about you know people who make fun of folks who delude themselves uh for a greater good <laughs> are buttheads then i'm like man new age stuff is annoying <laughs> <laughs> i mean well it is it is a it is kind of it, it's annoying and it's also not as damaging or deeply entrenched as some yeah what's, religions <laughs> like where are my priorities man i'm just gonna continue <laughs> with my rant anyway with that acknowledged before someone else beats me to it okay <laughs> you know here's a trick uh if you call out your flaws before other people do, it sounds like you're aware of them and you're being witty or something and no one criticizes you. Well, we will let the people decide the validity of that. No, I, I decided for them. If anyone comments okay. anything mean, I'll beat them up. Okay. Um, I think that stuff is really annoying again, because it gamifies like, you know, astrology. Mm. There is absolutely nothing about the stars that affects who you are as a person. Doesn't matter if Mercury's in retrograde, which, by the way, Mercury's in retrograde right now. Oh, um, Jesus. Okay. That's, oh, no. <laughs> you have to frighten me like that. Yeah. It's nothing about these concepts are real. And there's what what bugs me is that there's so much thought, there's so many, there's so much lore to this that people spend so much time thinking about and digging into. When in reality, they're just these super basic self improvement techniques and concepts that are just disguised as stars and that kind of thing. If you were to read a random astrological, you know, uh, what are they called, horoscope, mm -hmm. you know. It'll apply to you 100%. I saw this, you know, a Penn and Teller documentary where they just handed a bunch of kids, you know, raise your hand if you're a Libra. And then they gave them all Libra horoscopes and they started swapping them out saying, okay, raise your hand if you think these apply to you. All the kids said, yes, absolutely. doesn't matter if they got a Libra or a Cancer. They speak in the most basic, you know, uh, self-improvement anythings. And so a so, lot so of what it, do you what do you mean by uh, like self-improvement when you're talking about um... – these kind of new age things sort of replicating them well well why do you think that people practice these because because you know? i would argue that it's more for a sense of sort of existential like security and meaning there might be some components of self-improvement because like any system it's you know likely telling you to do something um whatever that you know we can go down to like self-actualization and like the like in the eighties, it was kind of a co-opted term from Maslow's psychology. And a lot of gurus kind of used it to make that sort of like your goal where it's, you know, if you align your chakras and uh, all of these things that you'll be like self-actualized, you'll become an ideal human. But wow. I, yeah, I'd, I'd almost, I'd almost say that's like a sub because not everybody wants to improve themselves which can be hard when you're someone who takes a lot of care um, in trying to be a better person and try to live like a good life. Some people are like, like you framed earlier that some people are kind of complacent to come back from the call center and just, but, but they might be dealing with certain, I mean, they live in an uncertain world, so they might cling to certain things that give them certainty. Well, I guess, I look into it and, 
you know, I used to date someone who was super into all this stuff. Um, and generally, I don't hear anything from the people who practice these new age, you know, spirituality, you know, cultures and that kind of deal. Mm-hmm. I don't hear from those folks who participate in that stuff that it provides them with grand answers. Right. Uh, nothing about it really feels definitive or sounds definitive. And so I couldn't understand how someone could look to those things and be seeking objective truth, like you're saying. Um, I guess I just can't, I don't see that. See, I think it. it's I think it's less like they need objective truth, but they need some level of certainty. So they're introduced to a sort of system that gives certainty. It seems to have rules, even if it's not actually when you frame it in reality, it, it's completely bogus. You look at like, I mean, the, the importance of sports during the pandemic or any event. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of that comes down to there is no matter this uncertainty, you know, governments are printing a crazy amount of money to support businesses. There's lockdowns. You don't know how this virus works. There's a lot of social unrest. We don't know what's happening. People are losing their jobs. Nobody knows how long this is going to last. And then you introduce this like thing that has set rules. It has a cast of characters, heroes and villains. It has teams that are, that you can, you know, get behind and self-identify with. There's wins and losses. There's good and bad. It's like very binary, very simple, and it gives them some sort of certainty. And even if no one's going to argue and say that NBA basketball is giving them any sort of grand meaning, but it is kind of, I'd almost say fulfilling that sort of innate psychological need for some certainty. And I think, I think that's what these new age things are. It's just the same sort of, uh, you know, there's a little community. You can, it's a little bit of escapism. It's also kind of a fulfilling, uh, level of certainty at the time. So this is kind of like NFL for people with stinky houses. <laughs> That's the funniest thing I've said all week. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's no, actually it. a. <laughs> That's a really brilliant way of putting it, I guess. That's a tweet. Um, that's a. That's a tweet. <laughs> Whoever can get to their phone first gets to tweet it. <laughs> no, no, you go for it. I feel like I wonder how much context you need for that one, but I, I think I think it works. New age, yeah. new age movements are just NFL for people with stinky. New houses. age spirituality, new age spirituality, is just NFL for people <laughs> with stinky houses. And tweet. I just want to know followers. I lose. Yeah, no, I just want to know the reaction. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I've been bleeding followers all week. So let's see if that pushes me over the edge. Oh god, what have you been doing? <laughs> I have no clue. Um, <laughs> I guess, yeah, you just introduced a new perspective that I hadn't considered before, so I need to reframe everything. Spirituality is like sports in the sense that it just gives you something consistent. Mm. It offers a sense of consistency. It offers a sense of comfort, something that you understand and that you can interact with in an absurd, awful world, this makes sense. This has rules and this is how this affects you. And if you practice it in this certain way, then you will see its effects, even though these effects are just basic human social concepts that have been gamified and mystified. Yes. Yeah. That's a perfect, brilliant way to put it. Okay. I gotcha. I'm following the grand Sisyphus. (laughs) 
I'm contributing <laughs> and understanding and comprehending. <laughs> um, yeah, in case you can't tell, I don't read anything. I just get sad at one in the morning. <laughs> hey, I mean, that's as good as philosophy as, as uh, anything. Yeah, but you don't see me, you know, writing books about it. I mean, I do make videos. And yeah. it's got one like, so it's not a it's not a grand slam. Oh, I'll, I'll toss it. That's nah, you okay. You're gonna blow <laughs> up. <laughs> um. Yeah, well, spirituality. Like, like, oh, yeah. I I think like you can. I mean, with new age spirituality, that's totally. I think we can both agree. Pretty harmless. There is that. I don't know if you ever watched Wild Wild Country in a. Uh, on Netflix that talks about the Rajneeshis and like uh, they like uh, do, do you know about this at all? I do. I know nothing about this. Oh, no, a lot of a lot of people I'm surprised don't know about this. In Oregon, in the 1980s, this uh, guru from India came, and he was followed by a lot of these like uh, grad students, like psychology kind of people, and then a lot of like suburban housewives also that just kind of like left their family some people brought their family and he just made Whoa. like this little compound out in oregon and like the government didn't really care for like a while and then like they started building like a city and it had its own airport and like hospital and it had its own police force and it and then the the fbi was getting kind of worried because they were like holy <laughs> like you know these are just like some new age peace loving people why do they need like a police force and then there was like i think at one point somebody gets murdered in the movement and then they're they're bribing homeless people to you know you can come and live here you get food and shelter if you go and vote for our uh our like leaders in the next oh. uh, state election so then that's when the fbi actually came <laughs> and they were trying to they were trying to capture this guy and he fled um and i forget exactly how it ends but that, that actually happened in the 1980s in oregon and it's like a perfect example of like i mean new age movements can kind of suddenly become like a a bit of a threat i guess um but i mean yeah. it's rare it's just, I guess, when New Age movements do become dangerous, they get their own Netflix series. <laughs> yeah. So it doesn't happen all that much, I guess. Yeah, no, I guess so. Except for that, like one exception, um, I would say that they're they're not very damaging. But the uh, it gets bad when it starts to become certain political ideologies where you have a certain rage and it feels like the world is kind of just you know kicked kicked you in the face repeatedly nothing is certain you just you know it seems like the bad guys are always winning it can be coming from a very simplistic mindset and somebody comes along and they can offer a sort of comprehensive ideology that justifies your rage um, and also offers you certainty and the best part is is that your identity you know if you're a, a white uh, lower class like american is you know tied to this ideology and you're on the good side that's when it can become very lethal uh, i think it's what happened in nazi germany and it's it's kind of something that hannah arendt she was this political theorist she talks about that it's kind of these uh widespread ideologies that come and take people's rage offer them certainty and offer them a sense of self-identity and that's what you got to watch out for because that's happened throughout history you know and and I think it's the same thing. It's preying on this kind of our need for uh, 
existential security and comfort. Huh. I am just I, I, I literally just added that to my Netflix watch list because that sounds incredible. I'm probably gonna stay up all night because <laughs> <laughs> that sounds actually awesome. Oh, it's um, it's such a good series. Yeah. Sweet man, I wish that we could have something like that, but have it not get scary. Well, like I, I <laughs> when I was watching it, I was thinking like this is kind of like from what we know, like kind of what Jesus did. Like he showed up and got a few disciples and started like a little following and to their eyes it would have been like a cult and like the only difference is is that the roman authorities didn't have like the the manpower of the fbi to just squash it like it's it's really like this is kind of that was just kind of a contemporary version of how a religion would form huh because they were getting more and more followers and they you... still have I, I made a video on it and the Osho Foundation like immediately and his name he changed his name to Osho, like the leader. And he and like they, they squash like every video, they copyright claim it. Like they're still they still have a big following. Wow. You should find a way to upload that like secretly I don't know, to, like Patreon oh, no. or something. I, I have it I have it uploaded. It's called like the Sex Guru. Because I, I just wanted to talk about the uh but but I did have to. I had like a little email thing going with Osho Foundation. But um, like I just wanted to talk about what his philosophy was because I found it interesting because it was like really like a new age philosophy. It was all about like tantric sex. It was all about like um, just you know transcendental meditation. Um, basically, no rules. Uh, that kind of weird laughing meditation where you just like laugh a lot and. Uh, it was it was interesting. He did write a lot, and he seemed to just borrow from a lot of different philosophies. Because I just wanted to like offer a video of him, like this is what he believed in, and then also show some of the contradictions. Huh. I actually have it in a tab right now, so I'll be sure to watch that as soon as we're done here. Oh, <laughs> I this is totally new to me. Yeah, actually. no, it's it's wild. Like a lot of people don't know about it. That's. Redonkulous. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, I don't know. It just... The thing that bums me out is that all the people who lead these cults and organizations and beliefs, they're all really charismatic and outgoing and very mm-hmm. well-spoken. And I just want, like a cult led by some guy who's like quiet and meager and kind of doesn't, doesn't want to be there. <laughs> but what he's saying is just so endearing. And you're like, yeah, man. Well, who's that? Who's you that? Know? Uh, what's that guy's name from Ghostbusters? The really little guy. Um, I'm going to be frank with you, chief. I, I'm not a huge fan of Ghostbusters. Are you serious? No. Oh, oh. <laughs> no, no mention of the, uh, uh, quality of it, but, the, the, he's like the really little oh what's his name he's the, do you remember him at all the really tiny guy little ghostbusters um little guy ghostbusters <laughs> i <laughs> that should actually pop yeah little guy from ghostbusters um like was he in ghostbusters we talked like dan Aykroyd because he's short or uh, the key master the key master yeah there we go oh he was the guy from little shop of horrors Oh, okay. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, like Louis if he... Tully. 
Okay. Yeah, no, if if he let it called, I think that would be Yeah. Kind of what you're talking about. Kind of that sort of very kind of uh-huh. socially anxious and not very charismatic at all. Yeah. So that means well, their I ideas guess... would have to be really good. Yeah, I guess when I get into, you know, like the person leading the cult, I guess I'm not meaning more so like the human aspect, but rather I want a cult with something of substance rather than just a really charismatic figurehead. Well, because like you know? my my argument with um when I made that video on the Rajneeshis was that there is substance in there, like any ideology that becomes kind of parasitic and starts a large following but there's also this sort of, you know, once it builds up, there's a certain level of power that those who first introduced the ideology are are given. And the question then is, like, how corrupt are they? And, you know, to what extent are they going to use this power? And does the ideology also in any way kind of go against their sort of corrupt use of power? Um, or does it kind of actually justify it? Huh. Because cause Osho, his whole idea was basically uh, completely chill, don't do anything, you're just vibing. Um, but you could tell from the compound that a lot of it was not that. There, there was murders, there was a lot of, um, you know, there was, there was sexual assault, there was uh, coercion, there was uh, tampering with the political system. But then you look at, like, I mean, the Nazis and... Hitler's whole rise to power is justified in the ideology and it's based off of um, this false historical narrative that he would reintroduce this uh, utopian Germany. Um, And I wonder, I wonder if that leads to some level of success. And I mean, they're all just cults at the end of the day. Huh? I mean, yeah. Do you think that there are any dangerous philosophies, like anything that should be like almost censored or squashed? Um, like, I mean, there are times where philosophers have seemed to embrace ideologies that were, um, looking back evil or not favored nowadays uh julius evola was basically a huge proponent of fascism and nazism and in our contemporary lens that would be considered wrong and a lot of his writings were just were used to justify uh, mussolini's actions and he's considered a philosopher was he that guy um who was just so helplessly dark nihilistic hopeless um he had dementia towards the end of his life. I think he made a video called like the scariest philosopher. Oh no, no, no. He, so that's, that's a, uh, Emile Charan and he, Oh yeah. He, he, so he fell into fascism and a lot of his nihilism actually came about when he realized that he had fallen sort of for a false belief and how evil it was and how he couldn't possibly, uh, identify with it anymore. But he realized that he was so drawn into it. And so he became he became very very cynical and nihilistic and and I don't even what he's necessarily advocating for it's kind of anti natalism and uh, I mean you could argue that that is a dangerous ideology because it's basically um, 
or, or philosophy because it's basically against the birth of humans. It's to just not give any more. Um, they see life as inherent suffering. So to bring a life into the world is to increase suffering. So it's ethically bad to uh, exist Creepy. or even have kids. I gotcha. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, some, some. I, I, I'm not a fan of that. I don't like that. But I mean, once you start talking about philosophy, you can't say that there's things that you know ultimately must be banned because it's a field that's so, um, you know, self-critical and self-perceptive, and it's constantly changing, and there's no real values. So, like, what 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 deserves censoring, and who's censoring it? Yeah, I guess if there is something worth censoring in a philosophical space, um, it would root itself out. I guess is what you're saying. If you know, it's truly harmful, has absolutely nothing positive to offer. Well, if if reason would, prevails, you know. you'd assume. But but I also think I think if there was one def- definitive thing that would rule itself out in a philosophical circle is something that is unwilling to be self-critical or self, mm-hmm. you know, to, to be skeptical of its own premises. Cause then that's not really philosophy. That just becomes dogma. And in a sense, at least if we're just talking like in a philosophical forum, then that would be banned. Cause that's, you know, that's drivel. I mean, you, I, I uh, saw in my discord one day that there, I mean, our, my discord is mostly just like philosophical discussions. One day there was just like a bunch of, people that had like Nazi profile pictures and stuff. Oh, and, uh, no. you know, they're, they're, <laughs> it, was, it was all at once. And, uh, I have a great, um, admin team and they got rid of them, but, uh, you know, and they're just very unwilling to, to have any sort of dialogue. And then when you say like, you're doing, you're not being very nice, they just go, why? And <laughs> like, so it's like, you know, if you have an entity that's unwilling to, to even, you know, you can come in and try to justify Nazism um, but if you're unwilling to like actually look at, you know, some very serious refutations against that, uh, belief system, then you're not, you're not doing anything other than just, uh, being annoying. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, man. Learning that you have a discord makes me a little bit more uneasy than I felt before I knew Oh really? <laughs> I just imagine that being like Lord of the Flies or something like that. That would become like I don't know, some AI hive mind or something like that. Like I don't know, like a Rocco's Basilisk kind of <laughs> deal. No. I just see your Discord becoming like self-aware and like killing people eventually. Oh yeah, no, it's it's a uh it's interesting going in there sometimes. Like it's do you have a Discord? I do, but it's mostly just a bunch of kids talking about my chemical romance. Ah, sometimes I wish it was that also. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. I have a whole little cubby for political discussion. Keep it in there. Don't want to hear about it because I know that's the cubby I don't want to go into. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fair. I I had no idea about Discord until I opened it. Like, and holy, like, I didn't realize all the rules and all of the... I didn't know that, like, I could literally deal with, like, (laughs) neo-Nazis. Like, yeah, that is empowering. Yeah. Feels good. You know, being like, uh, I think my Uber set up, or not my Uber, what am I talking about? <laughs> uh, my Discord is set up where, like, I am Master Lord, and there are no other Master Lords in my Discord. I never go on there, 
right. just feels good, you know, to have a place where I'm God. Even you're, though it's taking really our life embracing its own, like you're cult saying. with the, the leader that's uh, chill and <laughs> not Yeah, I'm not here. Just answer to the guys, you know, who I appointed as admins. <laughs> um, you know, just like you said, you check in and there's a whole lot of new rules. Yeah. That kind of deal. Mm-hmm. You know, you're still Lord around there. If you poke your head into a voice chat, kids are going to lose their minds. I mean, that actually you know? makes, because people go like, where is God? But it actually makes sense being a Discord, like, owner of a server that you, you know, God's probably doing other stuff most of the time if he exists. Like, he's not constantly watching and seeing what we're doing. And then probably when he comes back, he just sees that there's just so much new stuff that he has to catch up on that he's like, <laughs> you know, I don't really care. <laughs> like, I'll just leave it to well, the people who I left in charge. Yeah. I feel like that's an unfair depiction of God, though. Okay. I've, you know, it feels like, you know, I'm I'm just nitpicking at this point. It feels like we're putting human characteristics on God when what was to say that, you know. Well, we were uh, made in his image. We were made in his image, but not in his brain capacity. Oh, anything. that's true. <laughs> no. So he's a really good Discord uh, server. God owner. is the ultimate Discord admin. <laughs> Okay. I mean, he's actually a pretty terrible Discord admin because we do still have, like, you know, fascism rising in Western culture, uh, rampant rape, murder. Um, my friend spilled a shake on himself yesterday. <laughs> um, you know, so if he's omnipotent, he's doing a bad job. And he owes my friend about a dollar fifty and spilled banana <laughs> shake. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, it was awful. That was probably the worst thing to happen this week. Yeah, definitely. Nothing else happening this week. No, nothing else happened. (laughs) (laughs) No. Yeah, my life is so hard. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, uh, I do have to uh, go. I promised my brother that we would play some video games. Oh, wonderful. uh, We, we, because I I was in Montreal for like all of the lockdown, and then I came back um, to Alberta where... uh, you know, I haven't seen my family for a while, and we used to always play Call of Duty Zombies, Black Ops Zombies. Oh, so, wonderful! Yeah, so we're gonna get that going. Excellent. Yeah, but it was it was really awesome talking to you. Uh, it I was hope, a pleasure. Yeah, no, and I, you know, hopefully we can do this again. I'm sure. Um. Oh yeah. Yeah. I would be down to clown. <laughs> Sweet, my <laughs> friend. All right, man. Um. Okay. All right, Excellent. thanks thanks for listening. Um you guys can check out uh Nate Islam's channel. Um he has really I'm, really I'm, good content. <laughs> yep. I'm I'm like Sisyphus but less 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 smart. Yes, and like also, well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't mean yes to that, but uh <laughs> um less sad if you just want to just like laugh a little bit more and, you know, Life isn't all just really philosophical and deep, you know. There is stick men that are, um, there for the 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 funny times and the fun times. But yeah, uh, I used to call myself the sad stick man, but you stole that from me. Oh, I'm sure a sadder, <laughs> and even sadder one will come around, and I'm scared of that. <laughs> yeah, he'll just be like, I don't know, someone sadder than who's sadder than Sisyphus. I don't know. Well. It's, Oh, no. We'll talk about it in the sequel. (laughs) It's a sequel. (laughs) Figure that out. Okay. All right. Thanks for listening.